Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. My name is Camille Shields, and I'm a partner in Sullivan and Cromwell's Criminal Defense and Investigations Group in our Washington, D.C. office. And I'm Tony Lewis, a partner in our Los Angeles office, and also a member of the Criminal Defense and Investigations Group. This month saw two announcements. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco of the Department of Justice announced the launch of both a new civil cyber fraud initiative and a national cryptocurrency enforcement team. In today's episode of SNC Critical Insights, Camille and I will address how these measures, along with a series of recent DOJ enforcement actions, fit into the department's ongoing comprehensive cyber review following President Biden's executive order signed earlier this year intended to strengthen the nation's cybersecurity infrastructure. Camille, this continues a conversation we started back in June 2020 when we appeared together on a SNC Critical Insights to discuss the False Claims Act and the heightened responsibilities of companies contracting with the federal government. Can you remind us about the scope of the False Claims Act and how it's been used? The False Claims Act broadly covers fraud perpetuated against the government by government contractors and grant recipients. Last year, Tony, you and I discussed how the DOJ uses the False Claims Act to pursue fraud related to Congress's Massive Cares Act, which, as you know, was passed to address the impact of the pandemic on American businesses, homeowners, and local governments. Since then, the DOJ has announced the recovery of $2.2 billion from False Claims Act cases in 2020, $1.8 billion of which was directly linked to healthcare matters. Today, we want to turn to a recent department initiative which is focused on the applicability of the False Claims Act to entities or individuals where cybersecurity systems fail or fall short, allowing personal or government information to be accessed by bad actors. Thanks, Camille. In connection with announcing the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, Deputy AG Monaco noted earlier this month that companies had been choosing to stay silent in the face of cyber breaches under the belief that it would be less risky to hide this type of intrusion than to report it and draw unwanted enforcement and media attention. Claiming that changes today, Deputy AG Monaco said that the department intends to use its civil enforcement tools, namely the False Claims Act, to pursue federal government contractors who do not meet federal contracting standards for cybersecurity. Camille, can you explain how the act's unique whistleblower provision will help the DOJ pursue companies that are out of compliance? The camp provisions of the False Claims Act enable whistleblowers to sue on behalf of the government and earn between 15 to 25% of the recovery amount if the government chooses to intervene, and between 25% and 30% if the government does not. SNC partner Andy Ostrich and I previously discussed this whistleblower provision, among others, during an SNC Critical Insights episode on July 20th. These whistleblower provisions reflect the value that the government places on information that company insiders may have about potential corruption. Indeed, this is why Deputy AG Monaco promised to, quote, protect whistleblowers who bring violations and failures forward. Camille, can you tell us more about the initiative? Sure. This initiative, which will be led by the Civil Fraud Section, is focused on safeguarding U.S. government information and systems. Among other things, this initiative will require that government contractors adhere to their representations regarding cybersecurity, including by ensuring the contractors properly represent 
the cyber protocol that they intend to follow, and follow through on obligations to monitor and report on cybersecurity incidents. DOJ will also proactively support the work of government experts committed to patching vulnerabilities in commonly used systems. Ultimately, the department claims that the initiative is intended to improve overall cybersecurity practices that will benefit the government, private users, and the American public. Moreover, DOJ notes that the initiative seeks to protect those entities that actually, quote, follow the rules so they are not at a competitive disadvantage. Brian Boynton, who is the acting assistant attorney general for the Civil Division, also weighed in last week, outlining the initiative's mission and reiterating the very high priority that cybersecurity remains to the department. Tony, in light of this initiative, it's more important than ever for government contractors to review their compliance, federal contracting requirements, and protect their sensitive data. Why do you think DOJ created this initiative now? What are the key concerns underlying this move by the government? Tony, there have been a number of cybersecurity breaches in the private and public sectors in the past year with major national security implications for the United States. Most significantly, Russian state-sponsored actors compromised software manufactured by SolarWinds that was used across the federal government and private sector. This compromise permitted actors to breach numerous private companies and government agencies last year, including the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Commerce, and the U.S. Treasury. Soon after, government agencies around the globe were put on high alert after a Chinese state-sponsored breach of entities in the United States and abroad exploited vulnerabilities in Microsoft email servers. Finally, as we are all aware, there was a ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline Company's computer network. That attack led to a temporary shutdown of one of the nation's largest pipelines and the disruption of fuel supplies across the East Coast. And that attack put into stark relief the extent to which U.S. critical infrastructure can be vulnerable to disruption or destruction by hostile foreign cyber actors. Yes. SNC partner Nicole Friedlander covered the Colonial Pipeline attack during an SNC Critical Insights podcast on May 28, 2021. As background, ransomware is a form of malicious software or malware that generally encrypts and blocks access to a victim's computer systems or data, rendering it effectively useless until a bounty is paid in exchange for a decryption key. Nikki addressed the increasing frequency of such attacks and stated that the Colonial Pipeline incident was the most widely reported instance of a common problem in the cybersecurity space. In light of these attacks and numerous others, it is clear that the effect of cyber intrusions on U.S. governments and businesses is real and growing, leading the Department of Justice to hold government contractors and grant recipients to a higher standard than they have previously been held to. As further context around the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, the Biden administration has leveraged a number of tools to further an aggressive and wide-ranging strategy to enhance the nation's cybersecurity across multiple agencies. It has involved multiple agencies and has moved to drive better cybersecurity practices in the public and private sectors, including through an executive order directing the National Institute of Standards and Technology to create new standards, through meetings with CEOs of some of the largest companies in America, and through the insurance industry. Tony, on the same day that Deputy AG Monaco announced the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, 
she also announced a national cryptocurrency enforcement team. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Much like the attacks on federal government contractors, such as SolarWinds and Colonial Pipeline, the criminal use of virtual currency continues to be a primary focus of an area of scrutiny for the department, particularly with respect to money laundering. For example, virtual currency has been used in a number of ransomware attacks, and DOJ has ramped up its enforcement of illicit cryptocurrency exchanges and illegal or unregistered money services businesses. Under the supervision of the head of the criminal division, the National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team will draw upon the expertise of the department's computer crime and money laundering teams to dismantle the financial entities that enable criminal actors to flourish and profit from abusing cryptocurrency platforms. While DOJ was already focused on the criminal misuse of cryptocurrency for the past few years, this step seems to cement the department's commitment to the issue and allows for greater specialization and centralized training for federal prosecutors and law enforcement agencies. And what are some of the issues that this new national cryptocurrency enforcement team will address? The team will be comprised of attorneys from the department's money laundering and asset recovery section, the computer crime and intellectual property section, and from various U.S. attorneys' offices. While the team will investigate crimes committed by crypto exchanges and financial institutions, it will also establish broad investigative priorities within areas that intersect with the crypto industry such as money laundering, human and narcotics trafficking, and ransomware schemes. Camille, can you walk us through some of the recent prosecutions in the crypto space? Tony, many of the recent prosecutions involving money laundering, or to use the industry terms, cryptocurrency mixers or tumblers. These tools attempt to mask financial transactions by spreading the desired cryptocurrency across numerous personal wallets before ultimately reaching a destination in the buyer or seller's account. One such cryptocurrency mixer is a darkness service called Helix, and the operator of Helix pled guilty to a money laundering conspiracy back in August. That plea agreement with DOJ was accompanied by the forfeiture of 4,400 Bitcoin, which is equivalent to about $250 million as of this recording. In total, it was reported that over 350,000 Bitcoin have been laundered through Helix which is valued at about $300 million at the time of the transactions and over $20 billion at today's exchange rates. Notably, Helix joins another cryptocurrency mixer, Bitcoin Fog, which was brought down last April after operating continuously since 2011, which is just two years after Bitcoin was first created. Tony, are there any new trends that you see developing in this space the department may be looking into? As we mentioned earlier, ransomware attacks, like the one perpetrated against Colonial Pipeline, require that a large fee be transferred in exchange for a decryption key. And these fees are often paid in cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency can offer anonymity to its users, and it can be difficult to track as it is traded through various private wallets and public exchanges. As ransomware has become more prevalent, so is the flow of funds paid as ransom to the hackers behind those attacks. In her remarks, Deputy AG Monaco argued that the increased prevalence of ransomware attacks is directly tied to the anonymity provided by cryptocurrency. And it is for that reason that the Department of Justice is going after what she calls the entire criminal supply chain with this new cryptocurrency enforcement team. 
And Tony, DOJ isn't the only enforcement agency that's taking a heightened interest in cryptocurrency lately. Indeed, SEC Chairman Gensler recently testified that increased investor protection and oversight is necessary in the cryptocurrency space, and that he has directed the SEC to propose new rules regarding cybersecurity disclosure. That approach seems to go hand-in-hand with the SEC's hiring of CFTC Commissioner Dan Berkovitz as their new general counsel earlier this month. Berkovitz previously worked with Chairman Gensler when the two were at the CFTC, and Berkovitz, like Gensler, has expressed concerns over the decentralized finance space, of which cryptocurrencies are a large part. And the CFTC has had recent enforcement aimed at cryptocurrency derivatives exchanges that have focused on customer identification and anti-money laundering issues and exercising the reach of the commission's jurisdiction. Thanks, Tony. There certainly seems to be a lot of movement in the cybersecurity space and plenty for us to talk about the next time that we're back on this podcast, what I will call part three. On that note, thank you all for listening to SNC Critical Insights. And for more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.sulcrom.com. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.